is your truck and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call. So during our weeknight shows, we have some themes. You know, we have the Power Hour. We have Destination Health. We have some specialty shows like uh, when Larry Wingett and I do a show together once a month. We have Broker Connect that we occasionally bring on a broker. Um, But right now, we're also going to put a big emphasis and focus on taxes. We're in the middle, or, or no, we're not in the middle. We're at the beginning of one of the, no, the biggest tax law change that I have seen since 1986, which was the first year I got into this industry, uh, late 85, then we had the big tax law change in 86. It was what got me interested in owner-operator and driver taxes in the first place. And by 1990, I started a, a company doing accounting and owner-operators or taxes just for owner-operators and drivers. It's also why we've developed our software profit gauges. Well, I feel like I've come full circle now in 30-plus years because this is an even bigger tax law change And this one has some really big impacts on this industry. But it's also causing a lot of confusion. So one of the first things that's confusing people is we're talking about all these new tax law changes at the same time we're getting ready to file tax returns, but you have to separate the two because they have nothing to do with each other. The tax return you should be working on right now is 2017, And the tax law changes took effect on January 1st, 2018. So both are really important. One, you want to make sure you get your 2017 return done correctly, but you also need to be looking at 2018 and the new rules right now. Here's one of the biggest things. Well, let me give you two big things we're seeing. One for drivers, one for owner-operators. If you are a company driver, the odds are that the 2018 tax laws have almost, almost no effect on you. I've run hundreds of scenarios with drivers using the new 2018 rules, and it's almost a wash. I, I could spend the next hour explaining why this went up, that went down, this went away, but honestly, the 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 net result for most drivers was a couple hundred bucks in either direction. Some saved a couple hundred under the new tax laws, some lost. With one big exception, if you get reimbursed per diem by your carrier, this was a great tax law for you. It improved a lot, and you will probably save a couple thousand dollars. 
So that's the big change for drivers. Per diem went away. If you don't receive reimbursed per diem, it's about a wash. All the, the higher standard deductions, some of the other rules, kind of evened everything out. It just made your tax return a lot easier to file. If you don't get reimbursed per diem, my guess is you're going to be able to fill out your tax return yourself. They're going to be really simple. You won't need me or anybody else. But there are some ways for drivers to take advantage of these new rules, even if you don't get reimbursed per diem. I am working hard on a program that would allow a company driver to start a second business, something we could help you with, earn a little income while you're out on the road using your experience as a driver and in the trucking industry, and because you're now operating a business, you get to take all those deductions you lost as an employee driver, per diem, um, you know, miscellaneous supplies you need to run the business, vacation travel, personal vehicle miles. I could go on and on and on. So we see that as a big opportunity. I've had this idea floating around in my head for about a decade of creating this this secondary business opportunity for drivers. And it's one of those projects that kept getting put on the back burner because we had so many other things to do. But with this new tax law, clearly now it is a huge advantage. We don't have all the details done yet, um, and I probably won't get that program finished till after tax season. But if you're interested, you know, send us an email. You know, we'll certainly... um, get with all of our tax clients and let them know about this opportunity. That's on the driver side. The owner-operator side, the biggest opportunity I see created by this new tax law is that more owner-operators could now benefit from being an S-Corp. And again, I could talk for the next hour about all the reasons why, but I've written some articles. We're going to be putting out an e-book soon. We're doing a tax analysis to let you know if you would benefit from an S-Corp. But far more owner-operators could now benefit from an S-Corp because of several rules and strategies, not just one. So it comes down to income. If you are, you know, if you have really high depreciation or you're new and you're not very profitable or you're, you know, old and not very profitable, the S-Corp probably isn't going to help you. But when you become reasonably profitable, and with today's rates in the environment we're in, a lot more people are seeing better numbers, then the S-Corp can help you save uh, significant amounts of money in tax. So we have a program from start to finish. We can help you with that. You know, get the corp set up, get payroll set up, all of those things. Um, So, you know, get in touch with us about that. But I, I want to answer a lot of questions. When, we, when this was first released, many of the industry magazines and even some of the shows got this wrong, and it created a lot of confusion. The good news is now there's been a real effort to get the good information out there. Uh, on this channel alone, I know that ATBS is doing uh, spots on several different shows. I think I saw three shows. Uh, that they were going to be on. And I can tell you that their information is correct. They, um, 
I know those guys well. They put out an ebook on this topic. I read through it. I checked their calculations. They've got this right. They understand this issue. So I'm glad that they're also out on the channel um, getting the correct information out. I've, I've done some guest spots on other shows to try to get the word out. I've posted a lot on Facebook. I want to make sure we clear up all the confusion that got started. And I'm glad to see, like I said, there are some other um, tax firms that are getting it right and the word spreading. So with that said, I'm going to jump into some phone calls and we're going to start off in Minnesota. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I'm just wondering if uh, safety uh, protection devices are tax deductible, steel toe boots, safety glasses, safety vests, and hard hats. Okay, I'm glad you asked that question. And this is the type of question I've seen lead to a lot of confusion. Because if I just answered that question without asking you a question... My information could be correct, but very confusing. And the reason is, we are dealing with two very different entities in the trucking industry, employee drivers and owner-operators. And this is where I see that many of the magazine articles failed to separate those two. If I were to assume that you were an owner-operator or an independent contractor... I would say, of course, those things are deductible. They always have been. They're still deductible under the new law. Nothing changed. That would be correct, but very confusing and misleading. If I assumed you were a driver, I would say, well, they were deductible in 2017 if you could itemize, and that would cause some confusion. But in 2018, those deductions went away completely for company drivers. Both answers would be correct, but it would lead to a lot of confusion. So you have to separate the two. And I'll go through that again. Owner-operator, absolutely. All that stuff's deductible as a business expense on your Schedule C. It was last year. It is this year. As a driver, you used to be able to deduct those things under what is referred to as unreimbursed employee business expense. So, for the tax return you're about ready to file, yes, you could possibly take those as long as you have enough total expenses to itemize for 2017. In 2018, doesn't matter how much you have to itemize, those items are no longer tax deductible for an employee. Let me, uh, let me get to a break, John, and I'll come back to you and make sure that uh, that was clear. Is this is the area that's causing the most confusion. The difference between an employee and uh, an independent contractor. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothbard.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're uh, we're going to get right back to the phone calls. We are giving priority to text questions on this show, and I'm going to go back to John in Minnesota. So, John, hopefully that explained it. But if you tell me your situation and which tax year we're talking about, I can address that specifically. Oh, you answered pretty much all of uh, everything I needed to know. The other question, though, is it crosses over between personal wear and company wear. Does that matter? You know, like I yeah. just got steel-toe cowboy boots. You know, so I wear them personally, but they're also... It, it, it does if we read the letter of the law from the IRS. The problem is, like most IRS regulations... It's so vague, it leaves things up to interpretation. They, the, the term they use when okay. it comes to, like, uniforms and clothes is if it is suitable for everyday use, then it's not deductible. Well, that's so vague because what they're really saying is if I go out to, you know, a store and I buy, like, mechanic shirts and I put my logo on it, well, clearly they would let me deduct that for business. But isn't that suitable for everyday wear? I mean, I I wear those shirts all the time. I go to shopping. I go to the grocery store. I go to restaurants. So their own interpretation doesn't even make any sense. So this is one of those areas where we prefer to interpret it in our behavior. For example, your steel-toed cowboy boots. They might argue that, oh, wait a minute. Those are cowboy boots. You could wear those anywhere. Well, I could wear steel-toed safety boots anywhere, too, so what's your argument? My argument would be, because they're steel-toed, I only wear them at work. I, I wouldn't buy steel-toed cowboy boots yep. to walk around, and they, they can't prove when I wear them. So something like that, I would clearly deduct those. And, and we would make the argument, these were ordered okay. specifically for the job we do and, like I said, their explanation makes no sense anyway. The other thing is safety glass companies make sunglasses, you know. I, well, <laughs> and who who would need sunglasses for their job more than a truck driver? So yep. I, I clearly think okay. that, that sunglasses are, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's something I bought specifically for this job. Okay. That answers my questions. Thank you very much for the explanation, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Michigan. Dan, welcome to the program. Afternoon, Kevin. How are you today? Good. What can I help you with? Um, A question on the per diem on the corporate side. I was always told that a corporation can only deduct expenses and not to per diem. That's why the driver always took the per diem side of it. How how do you work that with a corporation as far as to take the full per diem? This is a good question, and I'll give you a little history on this. Uh, Way, way back when, this was sometime in the late 90s, I had been doing tax returns for owner-operators for a while, and we had never done a corporation because it didn't make sense. Back then, owner-operators weren't making, most of the time, they just weren't making enough profit to, to make it all work. And I won't go into all the details, but we started 
to help people become more and more profitable. Then I had to start looking at the S-Corp. So I did what I always do. I locked myself in a closet with the IRS manuals and, you know, started reading until my eyes were bleeding. And I came across, deep down in the rules, I came across what you just said, that if you are more than a 2% owner of your own corporation, which everybody we're talking about certainly would be, you can't use per diem. You had to use the real expenses. And I said, oh, wait a minute. I would never incorporate somebody then because that is a huge loss and it's a ton of paperwork. This makes no sense. So... At the time, I was heavily involved in taxes. I belonged to tax associations. I was going to meetings a couple times a year. And I started bringing this up to people like EAs, you know, that are licensed with the IRS, tax attorneys. And they looked at me and said, yeah, I think that's in the code somewhere, but nobody pays any attention to that. And I said, but what about in an audit? He said, look, we've been doing this a long time. It's just... It's done across the board. And, you know, I didn't like that answer, but I see it, and I've seen it for years and years and years and years. I've never once seen it questioned. So, and I'm not even sure if that is still in the tax code or not. I'd have to go back and look. In fact, you know, I have a a guy who has been helping me a lot in my um, Facebook group, Understanding the New Tax Law. In fact, he owns a company called Per Diem Plus, and we're actually going to license some of their technology to use in our accounting app. And he's got a great background. He was an IRS agent for a while. Um, then he became a consultant. He's, he's what's called an EA, an enrolled agent. And for me, the EA designation is way better than CPA for taxes. CPAs are taught accounting. If they want to do taxes, they have to go learn that on their own and do research. And some do, and they're great. And some don't, and they're awful, honestly, at taxes. I've seen CPAs that are horrible at this. EAs, though, they don't learn accounting at all. I mean, they can, but their whole focus is taxes. The, the examination is, it used to be given by the IRS. Now the IRS has contracted a third-party company to give the examination, but the IRS controls the content. So the EA designation is specifically for taxes and allows you to practice in front of the IRS. I'm going to run this question by him again. I I don't think it's going to change anything because literally everybody does it. They always have. I've never seen it questioned, but I I want to get an answer from him to see if it's still even in the tax code and if I was reading it correctly back then. So here's what we do today. And it seems to be completely acceptable. You have the corporation reimburse the per diem to the driver owner. So I'm the owner, but I also drive for my company. Um, The the S-Corp reimburses me a tax-free per diem allowance, just like a carrier can do to a driver. Me as the driver... I get that money 100%, no taxes whatsoever. The corporation gets to deduct the 80% of what was reimbursed as a business expense. Does that make sense? Well, it, it makes sense. I just didn't know the, 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 the legality of it. My wife is a pretty black and white kind of a person, and 
and she doesn't like to get letters from the IRS. So we were just discussing this the other day about how it changed because I basically, I work for her, you know. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and another question well, I had too about is that... Uh, here's, here's one of the ways around this. Here, here's a quick, easy, well, I won't say easy, but it, it's not all that complicated. And, and I don't think this is necessary. Like I said, this is so wide, widely accepted. It's been done forever. I will get a more official answer from, uh, his name's Mark Sullivan. This is a great question for him. Um, I, I questioned it a couple decades ago. Everybody told me, nope, don't worry about it. It's always done this way. Um, but here's a quick fix. If you wanted to, you could take yourself off as an owner of the corporation, if you are one, if she's the owner of the corporation, she can pay you and reimburse you the per diem. It's when you become an owner that it gets cloudy. But like I said, it's still done all the time. Well, and that's how we did it in the past because I took the per diem as a driver. Yeah. And, and as long as you're not an owner of the corporation, now we get into the whole, well, you're married rule. And, and at that point, you know, all bets are off because trying to interpret that kind of stuff. But that would be one more layer to say, well, wait a minute, I, I can receive the per diem. I'm not an owner of this corporation. And she could say, well, I do own the corporation and I reimburse my drivers. Correct. Uh, hey, a question about that medical insurance too, that uh, like MediShare, you've heard of that before. I think you're in that kind of like a crowd-based type insurance. Uh can you deduct that as far as just like if you had a regular insurance policy, you know, medical insurance policy, you know, provided like she put me on as covered and then kind of like yeah. how you did it in the so, past where, you know, you, you know, she insures me and then I put her on as, a, as, as yeah. my spouse, so, you know. So I, I don't use that particular company, but I am in a group just like that for my insurance. Do you want my answer or do you want an answer that would be acceptable to your wife because they're probably two different answers well i got i have to i have to live with her put it that way but yeah so here's here's where the issue comes in these groups these medical cost sharing groups which i absolutely love by the way they have to be very very clear that this is not insurance they're not allowed to use the word insurance. They're not allowed to use words like deductible or copay or any word that is associated with insurance. They have to come up with their own. So instead of deductible, it's something like the non-shared amount that they have to call it. So that's where the issue comes in. But let me, uh, let me come back and I'll address that with you right after this. Stick around. Kevin Robinson.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right back to the phone calls I was talking with Dan in Michigan. So, Dan, this is a common problem that we run up against with many issues, not just this one. And the problem is when you have to deal with multiple government agencies that will interpret laws very different ways. It's kind of like when people say, you know, if I want to avoid the ELD mandate, can I put a 98 engine in my 07 truck? Well, technically, yes, you could. The FMCSA should only look at the year of the engine and you could be exempt. But the EPA is going to look at that very differently. You just altered the emissions on that vehicle and that's illegal. So, yeah, you might be able to get away with it with the FMCSA. But if the EPA ever finds that truck, you're going to be in in deep trouble. We have the same problem here. These groups write all of their stuff to meet the insurance requirements or the non-insurance requirements. They have to make sure that everything they do doesn't cross the line into making it look like they have insurance. But the IRS is totally different. Now, this is why this this is a very hard question to answer correctly, and we don't have a lot of case law that I can find. In fact, I couldn't find any. I'm I I always err in my favor. You know, I'll deal with the IRS later. So I'm looking at it as, hey, you know what? This looks a lot like insurance. It covers my medical cost. Um, I, I'm going to take this as a deduction. We'll we'll fight this later if I have to. The odds are I'll never have to fight it anyway, um, but that's kind of our approach to taxes. Is if we can get a clear definition, we'll go by it. If there's case law to guide us, we'll follow it. If there's a gray area, and there's lots of them, I'm always, always going to err in my favor until proven otherwise. Okay. Uh you know, I don't think it would be much different than if I go to a pharmacy and buy a prescription out of pocket. I can deduct that, you know, I mean, as far as if you have enough of it. Well, exactly. I mean, this is a medical expense. It, so, you know, if it's, it, and this is where it gets also gets confusing. If we were trying to deduct just pure medical insurance, that is a personal deduction on your 1040. I've always thought that's horrible that they do that to us as a small business. The reason I have to go get my own insurance is because I am a small business. Why can't I deduct it as a business expense? They make us deduct it as a personal expense where we get screwed. That's why we came up with the strategy that you described. You have your wife or your spouse or whoever get the insurance, cover everybody in the family, have the company pay for it. Well, in this case... I just think this is a medical reimbursement plan that we've set up as an employer. I don't see why that doesn't qualify as a medical expense. Well, it's a lot cheaper. I mean, right now, a regular insurance plan is about $1,400 a month, you know? (laughs) Trust me, I know. I'm saving ungodly amounts of money, and I feel like I have the best coverage I've ever had. Well, I was kind of hoping when uh, they changed that to where an association could come up with insurance. I, you know, I thought maybe either OIDA or NASTIC would 
maybe provide or some associate. You could get into an association and maybe get regular medical insurance cheaper, but here's, I haven't seen anybody coming up with that yet. You know, We're working on it, and here's the problem I think you're going to see. What, what the association new law allows, which I love this new law, by the way. Another thing, you know, I have to praise Trump for. This has been needed for a very, very long time. And he made it happen. Now, he did it with an executive order, bless his heart, but it happened. And I like it. But here's the problem I see in trucking. What this changed is it allows a group outside of an employer where, you know, now an association can be a group for health insurance, which is a good thing. The big difference between group and personal is that group is guaranteed issue. You, you can't be turned down for insurance if you're in the group. The problem comes in, though, is the group rate is going to be decided by the health of the group. Well, as truck drivers, we are like the most unhealthy group in the country. We have horrible statistics for health. So when we start to put together groups of truck drivers, I think the rates are just going to be outrageous. True, but you're changing that one driver at a time, Kevin. I'm trying, and I wish they would, you know, maybe we could come up with a, a group that says, look, we have very strict requirements to be in our group. You have to meet these health requirements. You know, the numbers have to be there. And, and so we're a healthier subset of truck drivers. I mean, if we could pull that off, that'd be great. All right. Well, that answered most of my questions, Kevin. I'll just get out of here so you can answer some more questions, and I sure appreciate your time. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We are off to Patrick in New Mexico. Welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. How are you doing today? Excellent. What can I help you with? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for uh, keeping us all informed and up to date. Um, I'm going to try and keep this quick. Um, I became an owner-operator kind of mid to late last year, 2017. Bought a $26,000 truck. Um, now, at the end of the year, my profit and um, quote-unquote employee, but really independent co- contractor income has been, well, let me put it this way, after expenses, we're looking at about 40000 and I'm guessing about $10,000 in per diem deduction. So that's $30,000. Now, I'm not super tax savvy. I'm certainly going to do more studying, um, but I'd like to get my taxes done as soon as possible. So I'm wondering, should I depreciate my truck in three years like it's supposed to be done, or should I try and take uh, the full deduction of the truck um, in the 2017 tax year where, it's, uh, where that deduction is worth more than it will be in the future years. How much did you pay for the truck? I missed that if you said it. $26,000. $26,000, and you bought it in 2017, correct? Yes, that is correct. Now, here's what I would do. So you either record this or write it down or use us for your tax return, but here's the way I look at this. When it comes to taxes and depreciation, all we're ever doing, we're not really, there's no depreciation strategy that would ever let you pay less tax. You're always going to pay the exact same amount of tax. It's just when you pay it. 
That, that's all we're able to manipulate with depreciation isn't how much tax we pay. It's just when. My philosophy is if I have the choice of paying the IRS now or later, I'd rather pay them later. So here's how I, and I'm glad you gave me all the numbers I need to explain this. You did it perfectly. So you have roughly 30000 in profit, and you have a depreciable asset of 26000 Here's the way I try to explain it to people. If we leave that 30000 profit, and just for example, we don't take any depreciation. On $30,000 in profit, we would pay roughly uh, about 4500 in, you know, Social Security and, and alone, Social Security and Medicare. You know, if we figure a 10% tax rate, I know we have other deductions, but you figure another 1000 or two. So if we don't take any depreciation, you're going to pay five or 6000 in taxes. What I would do instead is I would take the full 26000 right off the top in the first year, get your profit down to almost nothing, so now instead of having to send the IRS a check for five or six thousand dollars, you take that five or six thousand dollars and put it in your savings account and forget it is there. And then next year when you don't have any depreciation, your tax bill is going to be higher. Well, so what? You've got the money sitting there anyway. So I like to keep my money in my hand as long as I can. So I'm very aggressive about taking depreciation up front. But I'm also a stickler for saying, you better know how much we saved you with that depreciation and you better put it aside. Does that make sense? Yes, Kevin, that makes perfect sense. Except for, I believe you were saying that under the new tax law, a deduction, and perhaps this does not include a large purchase like a truck, but a deduction is worth more in the 2017 tax year versus 2018 because of the lower tax rates and whatnot. You are absolutely correct, which even strengthens my argument that especially in 2017, we want to take every deduction they will allow us. We want to accelerate everything into 2017 because it does give us a bigger tax break than it will in 2018 for two reasons, the 20% pass-through rule and the lower tax rates. So you are a hundred percent correct on that, Patrick. We will uh, we'll get to a break. We'll be right back with more questions right after this. Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Um, 
We're down to the final segment, and I still have a lot of questions. Um, if you're on hold with us right now, hold on. Um, we are going to do a second hour today. I want to make sure we get to all the uh, calls and questions. Um, so we will record another hour when we're done with this segment. Part of the reason is um, I have a lot of questions to get to, but I also have a story I want to relate while it's fresh in my mind right now because it just happened. Um, I, I, I try to take advantage of my time as much as possible, especially during tax season. So when we're at a break, sometimes I'm answering questions on Facebook when I can. Yeah, and I, I try to help people on Facebook. I belong to a lot of groups, and I, I recently got added to a group about you know leasing trucks onto companies. And I, I've seen a lot of questions in there that are really, really basic questions, which is fine. You have to start somewhere. But I saw one this morning, and it was, I have a plan. I want to buy a truck, put a driver in it, on and on and on. And But the question was, which brand of truck should I buy? Well, the first thing that tells me is this is somebody that's either very inexperienced in trucking or really doesn't understand much, and they're asking the wrong question. Which brand of truck to buy is about as important as which brand of underwear should I wear? Seriously. Truck specs can be important, but if you think a Kenworth is going to make you more profitable over a Volvo or uh, a Volvo over an international, if you think that's the difference between whether you're going to be successful in this business or not, that tells me a lot. That question is meaningless. There isn't a brand of truck on the market that I couldn't go spec and make money with. Now, if you're asking about truck specs, those are critically important. But, and people were answering her like, oh, well, you should buy a Peterbilt. You should buy a Kenworth. You should buy a Volvo. I, come on. I mean, is that the level of business knowledge we have in this industry? It's, it's appalling, really. So... I almost wanted to stay out of this, but I thought, here's a person that's going to get themselves in real trouble if this is the question they're asking. So I went in and I said, look, you're asking the wrong question. The issue is, if you have no experience in this industry, and from from what you're asking, I'm going to assume that, correct me if I'm wrong, the biggest issue you're going to face is putting a driver in a truck and you are clueless about what he's about to go do. That driver will sense your lack of knowledge in about 30 seconds, they will exploit it. It, And this isn't a criticism of drivers across the board. This is real world. I've watched this happen for decades. The, The competition for drivers right now is so fierce. Somebody's trying to buy a truck and put a driver in it that doesn't know this industry is going to get the worst drivers every time the drivers that will exploit her weaknesses. So I tried to explain that. I said, you're asking the wrong questions. And, and I've watched people from outside the industry try to do this. They crash and burn almost every time. I said, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to tell you like it is. And she came back. She said, well, which question should I be asking? And I said, you should be talking more about what truck specs. Well, she ignored that completely. I said, you should be looking at profit margins. But most importantly, you should be asking about how this whole industry works and what it's going to be like setting loose a driver 
and he's gone for months at a time with your equipment and you have very little control. Well, she ignored that too. And all she responded with was, well, I'm a VP of a financial services company and I know profit margins and on and on and on. And I said, okay. Um, And I started to respond by saying, that's great, that will help. But the people I have watched fail at this were business oriented. They were CPAs. I used to watch this all the time. CPAs would do owner operator tax returns and they'd go, wow, look at the profit margins. I could buy a truck and put a driver in it, and this will be easy. They fail every time. Basically, she's doing the same thing. She's coming from a financial services company and asking the most basic of questions. Now I am probably going to get rude. She probably doesn't know a sleeper from a hotel room based on the way she was answering. And I was trying to help her, and I wasn't being rude. She deleted the entire conversation. So... Good luck to her. I've watched this so many times, and all I was trying to do was help. But <sighs> some people can't be helped. You know, we have a term for them. We call them ask holes. They ask a question, they ask for advice, but if they don't get the advice they want to hear, they ignore you, and in this case, just delete the whole thing. Um, that's a certified ask hole. So good luck to her. Let's get back to some phone calls. Let's go to Calvin in Missouri. Welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I was wondering, like, when I go to the shop and my wife comes to get me, can I deduct the mileage on that or not? Yes, absolutely. That The only time, oh, the, the only time in business that you can't deduct your personal vehicle miles is a case where it's clearly considered commuting. So let's say from your home to your terminal is 40 miles. doesn't matter what the distance is, but you park your truck at the terminal all the time and you live at home. Going back and forth to get to the truck to go to work would never be deductible. It's considered commuting. But if it happens to be some other day and I drive from home to work to take some oil and put it in my truck or to work on the truck, or then I could deduct it. So we we have to distinguish between commuting to get to the truck to go to work. That's the only mileage that wouldn't be deductible. Okay. Well, I have been, so taking it. Yeah, as long as you're going to the shop, that kind of stuff, clearly deductible. So what's what's the other question? Um, Do you have my uh, profit gauges in front of you, report for this year? I do. business report? Yep. Would I be? Am I okay staying here? Would I be better at Landstar? Somewhere um, like that. Your numbers look good. Let me go over them real quick because I, I certainly don't want to discredit these numbers. They look great across the board. You're making a dollar eighty-two a mile, okay. all miles. Um, mm-hmm. One of your biggest costs, really, that's hurting you is the truck loan. Um, but that's yep. a, that's equipment cost, and uh, eventually that goes away, and you know, so we can look forward to that. But that's taking a big chunk out of your profit, forty-one cents a mile. That's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But you're still doing pretty well on the net side. You're still at seventy-one cents. That's respectable. Your fuel cost, you might be able to shave a little off that. It looks pretty good at thirty-three cents. Your maintenance cost is outstanding at eleven. Uh, everything else kind of inconsequential. Well, the thirty-three cents. Go ahead. 
That's also reefer included, too. Oh, well, then that's a great number. Um, so you're doing an excellent job on expenses. If you would have called me a year ago and we were comparing it to Landstar uh, business reports that I have, I'd say uh, you're kind of in the middle of the pack with, with almost everybody we see at Landstar. $1.82 on the top side, 71 on the bottom. Right, just about average, not enough to make it worth going over to Landstar just for money. Now, if you wanted to go over for the freedom and the other mm-hmm. thing, I'd say yes. Now, that's changed because almost every business report I've looked at this year for 2017 Landstar BCOs, they're almost all making $2 plus a mile on the top line. The rates over there have been really, really strong this year. Now, is that always enough is to jump ship? That own their own trailer? Um, some, but, it, it, you know, and I clearly tell people, if you're going to Landstar, buy your own trailer. Because that, that extra revenue right. is far more than what it costs you to own the trailer. Uh, but I, I should probably go and back you and... you don't have to worry about getting a junk trailer. Exactly. Or a dirty trailer or a trailer with lousy tires and lousy aerodynamics. And there's so yep. many reasons to have your own Flat trailer. Tire. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I never tell people you should jump ship just for more revenue. But, boy, the numbers are looking so strong at Landstar um, I, in fact, I know the numbers really well right now because I'm preparing to go do a, uh, a seminar for their BCOs uh, down in Fort Worth next month. So I, I've been poring over their, their numbers to put all my material together, and I am blown away by the strength of the rates over there right now. Okay. Well, I think that I dislike the company I'm at. I like them, but I don't know. I kind of like being able to go, I get to go where I want on the way out, but coming back, you know, you just kind of get whatever you get. Yeah, the, 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 I, the, you know, I love the rates over at Landstar and the profit, but what I love even more is the freedom. I mean, literally, you run the business right. exactly the way you want to run it. You work when you want, you, you go where you want. Okay. So, you know, but again, I've always been the guy that said, look, you know, stick where we're where you are, make the most profit, and then if that's not enough, let's look at something else. But this is just such a changing time in our industry. This is a time to look around at your whole business and decide, are there things I should be changing right now? And this is a big one. We want to be with a carrier that's taking advantage of these rates today, or we want to be our own carrier so we can go get those rates. We'll be right back. Oh, no, we're all done. I've got to get out of here. Be safe. Be profitable.